where we left off last time was after you guys dropped Tabitha off at school and then you, what happened after that? Um, he, I remember that, um, he was, uh, Lawrence was driving very, very slow. And I remember that, um, it was literally like people were blowing their horns. Um, it, it was a problem. I noticed that the traffic around us, like people were getting very impatient. It was affecting the other cars. And uh, he always drove very fast, and I knew something was off. And I looked at the speedometer, and then I looked at his speed. And um, since Pappy had gotten out of the car, uh, he had completely changed. Um, and I noticed that he was crying, and that was something that never happened with him. Um, and I kept looking at his face. And I couldn't under I couldn't read his expression. And then he he said something, and it was not in like his normal voice. Um, he told me that I had to cover up for him. That um, he couldn't go to jail. He said that um, he'd get raped, and prison get raped by the men. Um, he said that because I was pregnant and a girl that uh, the penalties for me would be much less severe. And he said that I wouldn't get much prison time. He kept telling me that I was young and a girl and that I was pregnant and that I wouldn't get in very much trouble. And I remember thinking all of these panic spots and like looking back, I didn't know what happened after I left the condominium and I didn't know what they did and I didn't know what what he was asking me I didn't understand um and I remember telling him that I would that I wouldn't say that I had did whatever he did and that I wasn't going to take the blame for his actions but I told him that if they don't believe the alibi story that I would um, leave him out of it, that I would tell what happened, but I would leave him out of it. And I don't know, for some reason, I thought that if I made that sacrifice, that he would stop hitting me. I thought that that would prove that I was loyal if I just didn't say anything, if I didn't tell. Um, I never, I honestly never thought that he would be arrested. Um, they had never arrested him for the for raping Lori, and it had been six months. Um, they had never arrested him. They'd been looking for him, but they'd never actually arrested him. Um, I thought he was invincible. Um, I just didn't think that I had any other choice, and I thought that I was in this horrible situation and that he would stop hitting me. And I had also like thought that I only had to get through the, the next two days because I had made plans with uh, my friend Amy Shear to leave him. She had come over to the house a couple of days earlier and we were literally like I was going to leave him after Christmas. And I literally thought that I just had to make it through Christmas, like even after what had happened. I just thought that I had to leave him out of it and get through Christmas and then I could leave. I just, I don't know why I thought that, but I really thought that I could just leave him out of it and it would be okay. And he kept trying to convince me to take the blame for what he's done. And I didn't know what they had done when I left and I kept telling him that I would leave him out of it. And I kept saying, I'll leave you out of it, but I'm not going to take the plane for what you did. And then we kept driving. Um, I remember he stopped behind. He told me to get out of the car behind a store. It was Kmart. Um, there was a dumpster back behind the store. Um, he told me to throw a, a bag um, that had body clothes into it. Um, that was 
we went to the laundromat. Um, before that, we went to a laundromat. Um, and I don't know why those. I don't know why he went to the laundromat first and then had me get rid of the clothes after that. I I don't understand that. Um, I remember at the laundromat in the back seat um, of the the Mercury. I remember that there was a bag in the back, and I remember opening it and I saw um, that smell, that same smell in the car like hit me in the face um i remember vomiting in the parking lot and i remember that the smell like it, it was like it permeated my nose like i just couldn't get the smell like i can close my eyes and remember that that dark copper smell um uh, we went to the laundromat while we were at the laundromat um i remember him sitting me down at a table and um, giving me nail clippers and a file and telling me to cut my fingernails down and, and clean under them. I remember they were very, my nails were really long. Um, I remember him taking clothes and like dumping them into the washing machine, but they were clothes from that morning. Um, I remember he was looking around, he was watching everybody. I remember that he kept opening the lid of the washer and he stood there for a long time watching the washer, like um, the clothes in the washer. I remember that he kept looking down and looking around, looking down. Um, then he came over and he started cutting and um, cleaning under his nails. Um, I remember that he drove over this bridge. There was a bridge. It was um, grayish, like light blue, and it made a noise. It was like a singing bridge when you drove over it. It made like a singing noise. Um, there was this isolated, the bridge was like right in this isolated place um, in Peckley that people used to call the marina. Um, there was like a clearing in the woods, I think, where they took the, maybe the boats down to the water. But um, the, the, the road that like, went right down into the water there. And um, I remember he told me to get out of the car and he had a- You have one minute left. Um, he had a red trash bag in his hands. And I remember that um, he told me to get out um, I remember his high top sneakers. I could see it through the armored plastic and I could still smell that terrible smell. I remember that it was a red trash bag. Um, he opened up the bag and the smell got stronger and um, he put like really um, heavy rocks like to weight it down and it made it really heavy. Um, and he um, literally, like, gave it to me and told me to, like, pick it up and throw it. And I told him that it was really heavy and that I wouldn't be able to um, throw it very far. Um, and he, like, snapped at me and thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. Using Securus. We may start the conversation now. Okay. Um, the, the bag... I remember that I threw it, um, and it didn't go very far. Um, it landed, like, just literally, like, there were jagged rocks on the bank. They went down into the water, and the water was really icy. There was, like, ice floating on top of it, and it went, like, right past the rocks. Um, it didn't go into the water. It didn't go down. It was just sitting there, and, um, he like I remember launched Toronto Rage. It was just like a flash, and I I told him that I said I couldn't throw it. I was like, you know, I can't throw. And um, he started taking off his shoes, and uh, he said he was going into the river to get the bag. I told him that he was gonna drown. It, it was freezing out. Um, 
he got mad and he told me that he was like, he's been a lifeguard for years and he would be fine. Um, then I remember hearing that there was this engine noise and I turned around and um, there was a, a truck and there was a man watching us and it was like a truck from the marina it had something to do with that area. And um, I remember Ron started screaming at me to get back in the car. He was like, get back in the car, get back in the car. Um, he grabbed his shoes and he was um, barefoot. And um, he, he like peeled out and we drove away. And I remember that guy just sitting there still like looking at us. And I remember thinking like, I wonder what he thinks we're doing. Um, I remember Lawrence drove us back to the um, trailer and he told me he was hungry. He said, you need to make me something to eat. So I did. Um, but he was like watching me like he wanted me in his line of sight all day. Um, he wouldn't let me like wash the dishes. He'd only been letting me do like minimal things. Um, he had like a like a odd look in his eyes. I don't even I don't even know how to explain it. It was very odd. Um, I remember that he like made me sit there while he ate, and I remember that I I didn't eat. I couldn't eat. I like hadn't eaten. Um, I had no appetite. And I remember that he sat there and ate, like, nothing was wrong. Um, then he said we had, like, errands to do. So um, he drove me to where I w was working at the time, which was Miller's Smorgasbord. Um, I remember that he took me in there to pick up my paycheck, and he walked in with me. Um, I remember then he stopped at a place, um, and he called his grandmother, um, and then he handed me the phone. He asked me to ask her if it was still okay to come to the house to get um, the Christmas tree. I remember um, she kept asking me why we were late, what was taking so long. She said that we were supposed to be there hours ago and that it was going to be dark by the time we got there. She was just, she was just like, kept asking questions. Um, I remember we drove the whole way down there. I think it was in Coatesville, maybe, Pennsylvania, but it was far away. Um, we pulled in there, and uh, I remember telling, like, he kept asking me what was wrong with me, um, and I told him I didn't want to get a Christmas tree there. I didn't care anymore. I said, I just don't care. I don't, I don't care about the tree. Um, he got really mad at me. He kept asking me what was wrong with me. Um, I remember when we were at his grandmother's house, like, it was just, it was like I was really, really awake. Like, every smell was, like, making me nauseous. I felt like I could still smell that smell from the car. Um... Everything seemed like really loud. Everything seemed very brash. Um, I remember that like he made me do everything with him. Like even when he went into the bathroom, he took me in there. Um, I remember he had a black bruise like um, between his legs that I saw. I remember that. Um, then after that, I remember he was talking to his grandfather. And I was in the kitchen with his grandmother, and she kept questioning me and questioning me and questioning me, like she could tell something was wrong. And she kept asking me why I didn't want to cut a tree down anymore. Um, she finally said that I could have the artificial tree, and um, it was pitch, pitch, pitch black outside by the time we left. It was freezing. Um, then he drove me back to the trailer. Um, I remember right after we got back, um, there was banging on the door, like really like banging, like panic banging. Um, it was our landlord. Um, I remember he kept, he was telling us that Lawrence kept ringing his phone off the hook 
and that they kept leaving him emergency messages that they wanted Lawrence to call them. Um, and I also remember that um, the landlord said that they kept asking for our address, but he hadn't given it to them. Um, but I, I remember telling him that I didn't want them to have our address because they like literally wanted me to have an abortion, and I knew that. Um, then I remember that uh, Lawrence got really mad because I don't know how this happened, but somehow his Jergo had come back to the trailer. I don't know how that happened. Um, it was on a hanger. Um, I remember Lawrence started blaming me. Um, he kept asking me, like, how could I let it happen? Um, his what? Like, screaming at me. The, um, Jergo, it was, it was, a it was this hooded sweatshirt that he was wearing that day. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, oh. It had, yeah, it had somehow gotten back to the trailer. I don't know how that happened, but. It was blood stained and it had somehow come back on a hanger. I don't know how that happened, but he blamed me for it. Um, he was screaming, screaming at me. Um, I remember him like flying into the kitchen and I remember hearing noises, um, hearing noises and I didn't know what he was doing. Um, he came back into the living room with two knives and he said it, they had to be disposed of and I, I just was shocked I didn't know why he was saying that um he told me that we had to get rid of them and he said that if anyone asked that I had to say that we got the um the the other little knife like that steak knife that came with it he said that we I should say we got them at like a yard sale um, he literally, um, told me we had to get back to the car. Um, he, he was going like down dark, dark, dark roads, the turns, and we were like so far in the woods. Um, I remember we went back over that singing bridge, that same bridge that makes singing noise. I remember, um, that the light, the light was hitting the river. I remember seeing the, the light coming off the river, and I remember that the river was black. I remember that it was really black. And I remember um, looking over it and looking down and seeing it. Um, I remember him slamming on the brakes right after that, and uh, he shoved me and told me to take his Jergo, his um, hooded sweatshirt thing, and he um, told me to get out and throw it. And I remember, like, opening the door in the dark, and it was freezing, and I got out. And I remember looking down into the darkness. There was this, this steep downward, like, embankment that just went down, down, dark, just down into the darkness. It was just dark. And I remember throwing, throwing it, the jerkle down there. And I remember that it got, it got snagged on a um, tree trunk. Um, and I remember I got back in car and he turned around and went in the opposite direction. And then he, he like slammed on the brakes again. And then there was an up, it was an upward um, slope, a sharp upward slope. And he, like, handed me the other two knives and told me to throw them up. And I was like, it's going up. Why am I throwing them up? And he said to throw them up. And I remember that they got caught, like, on something, but then they started sliding back down. Um, I remember getting back in the car. Um, then he drove us to um, Pappy's house. Um, she... We, I remember going in and there was a long, dark staircase that went up to our living room. And um, he took us in there and he was like really angry and panicky. And he kept making us repeat the alibi story again and again and again and again. Like he kept making us say it. 
Um, and um, all three of us, we got back in the car when Tabby came with us. Um, he said we had to do more errands. He drove us to the, um, the store um, where Tabby worked, um, Wise, Wise Market. Um, and she, he told her to go in and get her paycheck, and she went in. And then when she came out to the car, she was like, her attitude had completely changed. And she was laughing. She said, see, I told you that she said. And she said some girl she worked with had told her that it was in the newspaper that um, Lori was dead. And Lawrence, like, was joking around with Tabby about it. And I, I just... I didn't believe she was dead. I just, I didn't believe that they would be sitting there laughing if she was dead. That just made me think that she wasn't dead. Um, I remember Park City, Park City. Um, he drove us to Park City. He, um, he said we had to get his leather jacket. Um, it had been on Really, we went in through a back entrance, Casey Penny's, we went in through a back entrance, um, um, and it was just, it was surreal. Um, I remember there were Christmas decorations everywhere, and I remember everybody looked really happy. But it, it was like, the Christmas decorations, like they were too bright and everything was too loud. And it was just, I don't know, like, it just didn't feel like Christmas. And um, I remember we were there for, it seemed like we were there all but so long. And I remember that we left and then we drove to the, the bowling alley in Strasburg, um, Garden Spot Bowling Alley. Um, and... He said that we had to do what we always did on a Friday night. That's why we went there. Um, I remember we walked in the back entrance from the parking lot. We didn't go in the front. Um, I remember walking in there, and I remember that I barely, like, slid down the wall and sat on the floor, like, on the carpet. Like, I literally just remember, like, it was, I was just sitting on the floor and everybody was looking at me like I was crazy because I was sitting on the floor. Um, I remember that I felt like I was in a daze, like I didn't feel like we were there. It just didn't feel real. And then I remember that I saw this man in a, in a, a long khaki coat and, um, he like literally has um, glasses on and he said that he was, um, that he worked for the Pennsylvania State Police and uh, he like literally reached down and I remember he wrapped his, his hand around my arm and he pulled me right up and um, he literally took my arms and put them behind my back and he, I stepped around my wrist and um he literally said to me he said Lisa Michelle Lambert you were under arrest and then um I remember that they they literally walked over they put handcuffs on um happy they put handcuffs on Lawrence and then they took us out the back and um they literally I wound up, I was put in the back seat with Robin Weaver in a police car. Oh my God. Um, I remember like the whole way to the, um, to the station, like they were asking me questions about, um, how far pregnant I was. Um, they were asking me, um, where I had been living. They were asking me when the baby was due. Um, they were asking, he was asking all kinds of like really personal questions. 
about like my pregnancy, everything like that. Robin, Robin was. Huh? It was Robin that was asking those questions, or another officer. Oh yeah, he was literally. He was in the back seat with me. He was literally sitting in the back seat with me, and he was asking me the questions. And then the man that was driving, um, literally was like every time he asked me a question, he was looking at me in the rearview mirror. But literally, they're the ones that took me, and they had me in the car all that time, questioning me. And they weren't asking me anything about the case or anything like that. They were specifically asking me about my pregnancy, when I had gotten pregnant, when the baby was due, um, how long had I been pregnant, how did I know how far pregnant I was. Like, they were asking me, like, the whole way there, all they did was ask questions about that. They were not, they didn't ask me anything about what had happened that morning. Nothing like that. They weren't questioning me about the, the case, the crime. It was all about when the baby was through. Oh, my God. So, um, that end of things. They took us to, um, they took us to the police station. East Lampeter Township Police Station. Um, I remember that the hallways were kind of dim. I remember that they took me in a room and they told me that, um, they asked me how I knew Lori and I told them. And then they told me that, um, they said she was dead. And I looked at them and I didn't believe it. But then they told me that someone cut her throat, and I did believe it. I did believe it. And then I knew, I knew that, that I knew what had happened. I didn't know everything, but that's when I, that's why I believed it when they said that, because I knew nothing like that had happened when I was there. So when they told me that, that's, that's when I believed it. Um... I remember that Renee Schuller, um, she was a female. I remember that she took me into a um, bathroom there. I remember that she um, she literally like stripped me. Um, I remember she checked me, and then I remember she left, and she came back in. She checked me again. Um, she moved my hair. She she checked me. Um, and I you was, have one minute left. I was really far pregnant. Um, I remember that I could hear her outside the door talking to a man, and I didn't know who she was talking to at the time. But now, I like I recognized the voice later. It was Jack Kniff, my prosecutor. Um, I remember she came back and shot me three times, and I remember her telling him. I don't know what to tell you, that girl doesn't have a mark on her. And he said, how the hell is that possible? He was like, we need evidence against her. And I remember that um, they had just kept checking me, and there was there were absolutely no marks on me. Even with how pregnant I was, there were no marks on me. Um, conversation now. Hello? Hi. Okay, can you, can you talk to me about how they checked you? This is really important for me. How how did that, the checking your body inspection happen? Like you were you were naked. They looked over. Like were they thorough? They did it. How many times? Who did it? What happened was they um, saw that there were marks all over um, Tabby that her face was sliced and her hands were swollen. Um, I later found out that those were slippage marks on her hands. That's what I found out. Um, they literally, Renee Schuler, um, she was a female police officer, and this was really, she was also Lori's neighbor. Like, she lived, she knew Lori's mother, and she lived um, in the condominium complex 
they had her search me. She um, stripped me. They took all my clothes off. Um, they literally like ripped my 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 feet in between my toes, um, my hands in between my fingers. They moved all my hair. Um, my hair was like white blonde at the time because he kept making me bleach it. And it was like breaking off in chunks, but they moved all of it. They looked at my scalp. They looked at my face, my neck, my back. They looked like in between my legs. They looked my chest, my, like every single inch of my skin. They visually checked me. Um, she had some of the ladies with her, but I don't, she was a police officer, but I don't know who she was. Um, I never saw her again, but I do remember that it was running shoulder. Um, and I remember she was quick question on the witness stand and she said that I didn't have any marks on me. Um, I know that they checked me because they could visibly see that I guess what put their suspicion up or their, you know, their hackles up um, was that they, they looked just happy and they could visually see that she had slices all over her. So they automatically came to check me and um, I didn't have any marks on me and I remember hearing um, Later, I, rem- I remembered the voice, and I realized it was Jack Snap. But I remember him being incredulous. He was shocked that I didn't have any marks on me. And um, I remember that they literally questioned Renee Shuler and on the witness team, and she said that I didn't have a single mark on me, absolutely nothing. Um, I found out from my lawyer, Roy Shark, he said that they had done that because the um, crime scene, the final result, they said was extremely violent. And they said that uh, because of the marks that Pappy had on her, that someone involved in the struggle would have had to have um, marks on them that they say were like an assailant, that they would have had to have physical injuries like the ones that she had. And I remember that that was a huge problem for them, that I was completely unmarked. And um, automatically, um, my lawyer believed me because he had seen the photos. He saw them before I ever did. And he said that there was no way. Like, he automatically believed me because he said that there was no way that I was physically involved in what happened after I left the condominium. He said, you don't have a mark on you. He said, I believe you that you left because you don't, you don't have any marks. So, um, I don't know. I, I assume they checked Lawrence, but they never took any photographs of him. And I know that they photographed Tabby's injuries, but they never photographed his. Um, if there were photographs, they disappeared. Um, I don't know how that happened um i do know that the only um like the only person that was ever documented to have the only person they documented with like a salient marks on them was tabby um so that happened um i remember also they drove me to a hospital um, they had my blood taken because, uh, all the blood they had found at the scene. Um, I remember they had my blood taken and I remember later that none of my DNA and none of my blood was found at the scene at all. Um, everything they found was my male co-defendant blood type that wasn't mine. Um, I don't remember as far as that, um, I don't know if they tested um, Patty, but I do know that um, the first or second day that after they took me to the prison, I know that they used her sweater to send a bloodhound. Um, the bloodhound's name was um, Clementine, and I know that they that's how they found um a lot of the evidence was that um, they used the scent dog and the dog took off on Tabby's scent. And I know that that's how they found um, 
things at the river, and then they had lied about it, and they suppressed the, um, there was actually, like, a report written by the police that the bloodhound found nothing at the search, at the river search, um, and that was completely suppressed against the staff. We never knew until my federal trial in 97 that there was even a bloodhound involved in my case. Um, because that was evidence that would have helped me. Um, Jack Kinesh, he suppressed it. So we never knew that um, the Bloodhound owner, Alan Means, we never knew he existed. We never knew Clementine, the dog, existed. Um, we never knew that they had used um, Tabby's scent to locate the evidence. Um, they had recovered bags at the river, and they had also made a video of it. Um, they never turned the video over to my defense lawyer. They completely hid anything to do with the bloodhound. Um, that was in the group of things that um, Josh Neff, they were part of the 37 items that he hid from the defense in my original trial. Um, okay, what what was in what was in the bags that you threw in at the river? What was in those bags? Do you remember? Um, they were his um, bloody high-top sneakers. Um, there was also a rope. There was a rope, too, that um, there was a rope, too. Um, they said they never found any of that stuff. And then when I went to federal trial, um, Christina Langell got a hold of a videotape that was given to her by the Blackhound donor. He showed up. And he said, I think you should have this so that you can help her. And um, he gave it to them, and it showed the police finding the red trash shack on the videotape with his bloody high-top sneakers in it with a rope in it. Um, and those completely disappeared. Was Everybody there, there was, there was nothing, there was nothing of yours that was in those bags? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, nothing. Okay, nothing. that's what I wanted to know. So were you, when you were in county jail, when you first initially got arrested, were were you in the same vicinity as Tabitha? Did you guys see each other? Did you get to communicate? Or were you guys separated? No, they um, immediately separated us. She was in um, a different area than I was. Um, they kept us separated the whole time, but what the, I guess that was protocol when it comes to multiple co-defendants, but what they didn't know was they thought that I was separated from Lawrence and that I wasn't seeing him, and that could not have been further from the truth. Um, he figured out very quickly and, uh, sent me a message to go to the law library, um, I literally, we started secretly communicating through the law library right away. Um, How? How did you do that? What? How did you do that? Like through the books, like leaving each other notes, or how did you do that? There were, there were books in there. Um, the first time I went in there, I saw a message written, there was a wooden table in there. I saw something written on the table and I knew it was his handwriting. So um, I knew to go look in between the books. They had federal supplements and um, court reporter books. And that's how we started um, communicating. The other thing was um, every time he had a visit, I could be in there and we could talk at the door. There was a half door that only came up to my waist and literally we could be right there talking to each other. Um, and we could talk for like a, a while without them until they told him to move. Um, when I wanted to go on a visit, he could be in there and then we would talk then. Um, like they literally, I don't think had any idea that we were or they weren't paying attention. They didn't know that we were um, still seeing each other. But I remember that he was very um, angry because 
I didn't have access to like what I needed to make my face off the way I usually did. I remember I only had like I think maybe I had like um chapstick and mascara. But I remember him being very mad about it. I remember him um he like literally had an attitude. I remember he was getting very angry that my hair was rolling out. Um and it was dark. I remember as time went on, like he was getting very, I could see the disgust on his face when he looked at me and he would be very angry because I wasn't able to keep my parents up to what he, like, and he had ever, like, ever since I was pregnant, he'd been making comments about, like, how much weight I was gaining. Like, he was really, really mean about it. Um, he was just, like, very, like, vicious about my parents. He was very harsh. Um, did he did he want to be a dad? Was he excited to have a baby? What? Did, was, did he want to be a dad? Was he excited that you were pregnant and he was going to be a dad? No, 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 no. Um, no, that night, um, the night that I had that um, altercation outside of that Burlington Coat Factory, when we got back to the house, he literally took those baby clothes that I had bought at the store um, before I had mistaken my, like I thought my friend Denise was out there, but it was actually Lori. Um, he literally like took scissors and he had like, the baby clothes that I bought the pieces. Like he was very angry. Um, August 18th punched me in the stomach while I was pregnant. Um, that's in the police report that he hit me in the stomach while I was pregnant. He did not want anything to do with the baby. He used to tell me if the baby didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes, that he was going to kill the baby. He was very, like, very vicious. Like, I was trying to gather little things together, and, like, every time I got something to do with the baby, like, he would... He was just very angry about it. He didn't want anything to do with it. Like he was not he was not at all happy that that was happening. So when you guys were communicating through the books, what types of things were you guys talking about? Um he kept telling me to just stick with the stories, keep my mouth shut. He said, he kept saying that he would, he said, I would never testify against you. Um, he kept, like, assuring me that his parents were going to, um, like, basically, like, look out for me. Um, he was having his parents put money in my account. Um, he was literally, like, just, I guess, stringing me along to keep my mouth shut. And I didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. My lawyer kept trying to my lawyer kept trying to tell me that something very bad was going on and that I needed to be aware. Um, he kept trying to tell me that Mark was using me to keep my mouth shut. He told me that he was trying to cut a deal. Um, and I just I didn't believe it. Like I just couldn't believe that. I kept thinking that I was leaving him out of it, so why would he do that? Like, it didn't make any sense to me. And um, he basically kept just reassuring me that everything was going to be fine. He kept telling me that it was, like, that he was, the main thing he kept reasserting to me was that he wasn't going to testify against me at all. He said that he would never do that. So... For like several months, for a couple of months, I believed, and that this was before I had my daughter, but I kept believing that, I don't know, it took my lawyer a long time to get through to me, that he, he kept, like, really sure he knew something was wrong, and he knew I was hiding something, like, he kept, he would yell at me, he was, he was just trying to get me to wake up and, like, see what was going on, and I just, I just... 
I don't know. I just didn't get it until it was too late. I just didn't. I didn't realize. Was your was your lawyer was he court appointed or was he private? You paid for him. Um, he was court appointed, but he said immediately. He told me that he was court appointed, but he said immediately that he said he told me like the first time he met. He said. Something is very off here, and something is very wrong here. He said, um, "You're not telling me something." He was like, "I already know that you didn't, you weren't involved in actually doing this." He was like, "I know that because you don't have any marks on you." And he was like, he basically told me that he wasn't going to give up on me until. Basically, he got me to wake up. He was like, "I'm not going to give up on you." He was like, "I know that you shouldn't be in prison." Um, he said, "I know you just told the evidence and everything like that, but he said you, you just shouldn't." He was like, "I know you didn't do this," and he just kept saying it to me and saying it to me, and he just wouldn't give up on me. Do you remember the first conversation that you had with your parents and your or your siblings after after you were arrested? What was that like? Um, I remember I went down to the visiting room. Um, I remember that my parents, um, they asked me what happened. And I remember that, um, my mom and my dad were sitting there and, um, they kept saying to me, this was Lawrence, this was Lawrence. They said, he's crazy. He's violent. He beats you. They said, this was him. Like, he did this. And I kept saying he wasn't there, he wasn't there. And my mom kept saying to me, don't sacrifice yourself for him. Like, you can't sacrifice yourself. She said, please don't do this, don't do this. And then I remember telling my mom, I was like, you have to take the baby. Um, because they had mistakenly told me I was pregnant with twins. Um, they said they heard three heartbeats, so... I, my mom and dad agreed instantly to take the to take the baby. Um, I told them I was like, "You can't let Lawrence ever get the baby." Uh, they were like, "We're not going to let him get the baby." My mom said, "He's in prison. Like he's not going anywhere." And I was like, "No, no, no. He's going to get out. He's going to get out on bail." And they were just looking at me like, "They said he's not getting out." I said, "Yes, he is. He's got like you just don't understand." And I it. It just didn't sink in, like, no matter what they You have one minute left. I just didn't understand. I thought that he was going to get out, that he was invincible. Like, I thought he was putting out the LPs. I just didn't. And my mom kept telling me, she was like, don't cover up for him. You have to talk. You have to see something. Like, you have to. She kept telling me, she was like, please don't do this. We know he did this. Like, you just have to see it. You just have to see it. And I just kept telling them that, like, I just finally stopped talking because they just, they knew, they didn't, they just knew. Did anybody make bail? Hello, we're back. So, so nobody made, nobody made bail. It was a million dollars. That's what it was for all three of you. Um, yeah, that was only for, um, Lawrence, but it was a million. The rest of us, didn't have bail. Holy crap. Okay, so you all go, everybody goes to court for their preliminary hearing, and did everybody plead not guilty? Um, I remember, um, that they told me to, um, plead not guilty, I think, I think all three of us did, but I wasn't, I wasn't there for, I don't think I was there for his, I don't think I was there for hers either. I just remember they took me um, somewhere. I remember my mom bought me um, a maternity dress to where it was black and it helped 
what a white polka dot. Um, I remember I went there and then um, I created not guilty. And then um, they took me back, but I think I was the only one there. I don't remember. I remember there were a bunch of people there, but I don't remember Tabby or Lawrence being there. Okay. And you elected to do just a judge trial, not a jury trial, correct? Um, yes, because Roy told me, Roy Shirk told me that a jury would have to be um, death eligible. And that meant that um, they would have to believe in imposing the death penalty. Um, and literally, um, at some point, they made the announcement that Jack Smith and this is the crazy thing. I didn't have any marks on me, and I'm the only, I'm the only one that they went after the death penalty with. They did not pursue the death penalty with Lawrence or Tabby. I'm the only one that they did that with. Um, Roy told me that I would do uh, better off at a bench trial. So, um... They questioned me about that. I remember they took me in. Um, I remember they asked me if I grasped a full um, concept of asking for a bench trial. I remember being questioned, and I told them that Roy had explained it to me, and I understood. Um, and then they said that that's what they were going to do. Did you... Who was who was prosecuted first? Did you go to court first, or was it somebody else? Um, I went first. It was six months after. Um, the actual it was six months after the crime. Um, I went first, and then um, Tubby went, and then um, and this was a crazy thing. They. Like, Jack Knack at some point offered me a deal for 10 years. And um, I remember that he very quickly reneged on it. Um, Roy Shark told me that Knack twice told him that he would never reach his political aspirations if he offered me a deal. So he immediately yanked it. He pulled it off the table. And then they went to Lawrence and offered him a deal for hindering apprehension. And at the time, it carried, I think, I think it was zero to 12 months or one to three years. It was a very, very tiny amount of time in prison. Um, But after he testified at my trial, he was caught in so many lies that uh, Jack Hanef literally, um, his seal went from hindering apprehension to third degree murder, and it jumped from 10 to 12 years. But the problem was, he never took remedial measures, even though his star witness was proven to be a liar on the stand, and I had nearly gotten the death penalty. Jack Hanef, my prosecutor, he never took remedial measures. He never went back and said, my spell witness was lying and this girl got a raw deal. He just upped his deal from hindering apprehension to third degree murder. Um, hindering apprehension carried one to three years, third degree murder carried 10 to 20 years. Um, and eventually Lawrence had to plead guilty to that because um, he was just, the main thing that they caught him in was, uh, had to do with the 29 question. He repeatedly, repeatedly lied about that um, document between that was between us. Um, it was in my handwriting and his handwriting. Um, he first he tried to say it wasn't his handwriting. Then a handwriting expert said yes, it was. Um, then he tried to say something else about it, and they tested the document for graphite. It had no graphite on it. And the people that said the document was authentic, they were. Um, Jen Tavich was his name. He was a Pennsylvania State Police Examiner. Their own Pennsylvania State Police Examiner said the document was authentic. 
So these weren't all experts. They were the Pennsylvania State Police saying this document's authentic and this guy is lying. So, so for those for those that are listening, for those that are listening that don't know what document they're talking about, what document you're talking about, tell them what what note or what document are you talking about that Lawrence wrote that he's saying that he didn't. Okay, there was a document. Um, it's actually it was basically thirty one questions but it became known as the 29 questions in court. Um, there were questions because Roy Shirt kept bringing like these horrifying revelations to me. Like he showed me the crime scene photos. Um, and, and this was one thing when he brought the deal for 10 years to me, he showed me the crime scene photos. I remember screaming. I remember panicking and telling Roy, I grabbed his arm, I was like, I want the deal, I want the deal, I want the deal. So he went to Jack and F and he said, she wants the deal, she wants to take the deal, she'll do whatever you want. And um, Hanef said, I can't do it, I have to pull it off the table because my wife is forbidding me to do it. She said that how politically I will never offend anywhere if I give this girl a deal. So um, he also told my lawyer that I was from a nuclear family and that my conviction was going to be a feather in his cap. He said he was going to make his career off of my conviction. Um, he was very clear that he didn't care at that point who had done it. He said that he basically set his sights on me and that he was taking me down. Um, I wrote Lawrence um, this was before I had my daughter. I wrote, um, I wrote a, I guess they were yellow pieces of paper. I wrote um, the questions and I said, there are things I need to know if I'm supposed to take the blame for what you did. Um, I repeatedly asked him all kinds of questions in there about, um, did he remember seeing Lori dead? Was he sorry about what he'd done? Um, his answers were so cold-blooded. They had no feeling, no remorse. And when I got that document back, I knew, like, I knew when I read, he said at the end of the document, he was like, I can't write anymore and my parents can't send you money anymore. Um, and he signed his name, Butch, and that was his name. And um, I remember, like, it, this sense of knowing washed over me, and I knew after I read the document, that he had like literally set me off to take the fall for her murder. I knew just from reading the document, I knew they just had the coldness in the answers. I just knew that, um, I was like, I could feel it coming off the paper. And that's when I knew that he had set me up. Like, that the last thing that he said that he couldn't write anymore, um, basically it was so dismissive and so final. It, it, I just knew, I knew that he had set me up and I knew that everything Roy told me was the truth. Um, I had hit before I gave it to him. I hit it in a uh, federal supplement. It was number 475 because that was our rent amount. Um, I hit it in the binding of that book. Um, he answered it and he put it back um, in the law library, I went back to get it and it was gone. Um, somebody, another inmate had gotten a hold of it. I guess he had found it in their cleaning. Um, it was a mail. He gave it back to me. He told me I needed to do the right thing. Um, it was a miracle that I got that document back. Um, I, I hid it. And then, like, after I had my daughter in the hospital, I was looking at my mother holding her, and I knew that I had to tell her. Like, I just had to tell her because I had to keep him locked up. Like, he just couldn't be anywhere near my daughter. I had to keep him locked up. And um, I told her, I said, I have proof that what Lawrence did. And she looked at me, she was like, where is it? Give it to me. And I was like, I didn't tell her. And she was like, I know, I believe you. And I was like, 
I kept telling her that I had it. She said, where is it? Where is it? And it took me, I don't know why, but it took me. Boy had to come and yell at me to give it to him. And I, I just felt like as long as I had it, that everything was going to be okay. But I was af- like, it was like I was afraid to, to give it to somebody. And um, I kept telling Roy, I was like, I can't face him. I was like, you don't know what he's like. I was like, he's like very, like my hair's growing out. Like he's, he's really mean. He's really precious. I was like, you don't, don't understand. Like, I just can't face him. And then um, my lawyer said to me, he was like, why are you so worried about your hair? And I was like, it's dark. Like he's, he's really angry about it. And he said to me, he was like, well, what if I could get you dye and permission for you to dye your hair? He said, then, then could you face him? And I looked at him, I was like, what? He was like, could you face him if, if, if you were how you're supposed to look? And I said, I just looked at him, I was like, and he was like, I, I want the documents, that's what I want. He's like, give it to me and I'll give you that. And I just looked at him. And he was like, I'm not kidding. He was like, when I come back, I'm going to have that. And I want the, it, I don't know, it was crazy. Like, I just felt like I couldn't face him. So when did you, when were you aware that he was really testifying against you and that he took that plea deal? Was it in court or was it before that? Did your lawyer tell you? Um. He, he kept, he brought me a postcard. Lawrence had written a postcard to Lori's mother. And he, the way he wrote the postcard, I knew what he really felt. And the postcard was so, like, it, it was so fake. It was so fake, and it was just the tone of it. Like he was blaming me in the postcard. He was saying that um, he said, "I'm sorry, I didn't know." He said um, that he kept trying to keep me away from Lori. He was blaming me, and I was like, my lawyer was like, "Look at this. Look at this." This effing postcard, he was like, this is the truth right here. He said, he just sent this to her mother. He was like, he's turning on you. He's blaming you for what he did. He was like, you have to look at this postcard. And I looked at it, and I started shaking. I was like, where did you get this? And he said, he sent it to her. Like, they turned it over to me. He was like, this is what he's doing to you. And I just was so horrified. And then I told um, Roy about the Jergo, I said, um, I told him, I said, you don't have all of the evidence. And he said, what? And I told him that he had made me throw the Jergo in the woods down, down over the embankment. I said, it was really, really dark. And he asked me, where, where, how do you remember the car ride? So I told him about the bridge and everything and where he made me get out of the car and throw it down. So... Then he asked me if he could get me out for the day, that if I could take him to find it. So we got in, uh, he got permission to take me out of prison. Um, they put me in a police car and there were escorts. Um, they took me out to the woods and we kept trying to find it. Um, but the problem was it was dark when I threw it and I couldn't remember in the daylight. I just couldn't. Like, my memory, they were all darkness, and I couldn't, like, the day they took me out, it, it was bright, it was sunny, like, it was too bright, um, there was snow, everything, it, it just, I couldn't remember, like, exactly where it was, nothing looked the same, um, and then eventually, I told my dad about the Jergo, and, like, my dad kept, on the weekends, he would, like, my dad always believed me. And um, my dad found the Jergo 
before my federal trial. He founded, um, after a couple of years, he founded in the woods. Um, they took it. My dad, like, literally was doing this by himself. He was going in the woods for me. And was looking for it. Um, we found it, and they took it to a textile expert. Um, they put it in an evidence bag. Um, but that was after my trial was after I was convicted, but my dad never stopped looking for it. Um, when he found it, he immediately photographed it, he turned it over, um, and it actually wound up making it into my final trial. It wound up becoming a piece of evidence. Um, but we, we didn't find it before my trial, so we didn't have it. Um, that's what I believe when I read the postcard. And then um, I told Roy about what, that the drug was out in the woods. Okay, so just for time frame reasons here in my mind, just to make sure that everything stays, stays, stays like uniform in my mind. From the time that you were arrested to the time of your bench trial, how much time lapses? Um, six months. And your daughter was born before you went to your bench trial, is that correct? Yeah, she was born March 19th. Okay. And I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about your daughter at all during this episode because I, her privacy and her life is, I don't want to talk about her, but can you talk to me just for a second about what it was like having a baby while you were in jail? Um, my parents, they got a court order to be in the delivery room. Um, and they literally were there, um, they had to scrub, and then they put on, um, caps and, um, gowns and gloves, and my mom, um, used to work in the emergency room, so she wanted to be there to make sure nothing went wrong, um, she used to work at St. Joseph's Hospital. Um, so she was there. She um, stayed down by the doctor to make sure there were no um, complications or anything like that. Um, my dad stayed behind my head, and he held my hand, and he counted for me um, so that I you have one minute left. Um, count and breathe. And um, they had a law at that time that you had to be handcuffed and shackled to a hospital bed. So even while you were giving birth. So I always had black and blue um, rings around my wrist. I always have black and blue rings around my ankles. Um, I remember that they literally had uh, two sets of handcuffs. Um, they had my left hand handcuffed to the bedroom, my right hand handcuffed to the right bedroom, and then they had my left ankle shackled to the bedroom, and then they had my right ankle shackled to the bedroom. 